point switching's sitting on the bench. <laughs> out, out, out. <laughs> too much, too much gray area goes uh, somewhere into someone else's league. <laughs> 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 I'm Dan Krikorian, and I'm Patrick Harney, and welcome to Slapping Glass, exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome the lead assistant for the Los Angeles Lakers, Chris Gent. Coach Gent is here today to discuss building a vocabulary on offense, defense, and for late game play calling, and we talk teaching shooting, defensive stress tests, and defending split action during the always fun start, sub, or sit. Coaches, one of the best ways to help support what we do is by becoming a member of SG+. We now have coaches and staffs from over 40 different countries who are happy to call members, and they get access to SGTV's over 500 detailed breakdown video library by both ourselves and coaches like Stan Van Gundy, Ryan Pannone, Martin Schiller, Josh Schertz, and many more, as well as the weekly deep dive newsletter, access to a private coaching community, and much more. For more information, email us at info at or visit slappingglass.com to sign up today. Thanks for the support. And now... Please enjoy our conversation with Coach Chris Gent. Coach, thank you very much for short notice making time for us. I know you're moving around and getting to your new spot, but really excited to talk to you today. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it, guys. Absolutely. Thank you. The area we wanted to start with you is vocabulary or terms or building out your vocabulary base on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And we'll kind of start broadly with how you think about putting in vocab and terming things, and then we can dive in from there. Yeah, I mean, it's so important, right? Like, everyone has to speak the same language. And for coaches, you know, we spend time coaching one another on using the same language. And obviously, it comes from the head coach down. So it's very important that you don't mix words so that guys hear the same thing every single time. So you're building that accountability, those non-negotiables that you want within a team. So, and it, it's kind of fun to create though. I mean, I, I had a heck of a time when I was doing offense at Ohio State and I was calling the plays and it was fun. I was doing like these crazy hand signals and you have like, a, you know, layers of plays. Like, well, well, I can't call out five things for one play. So you can't make it too complicated at the offensive end. So I think simplicity is always best and everyone repeating and using the same language day after day after day. Speaking on simplicity, and if we look at the offensive end to start right now, then what are the things that you would say as a coach you should be naming? Yeah, I think that, you know, there comes those percentage of free play, right? You have your free play, which is based just on spacing, flow, how you're, how you're interacting offensively, letting it go. You have times in which you want to attack a matchup or get certain players the ball. So now here comes your play calling areas of the floor. You want your best players. Who do you want on that guy? Who do you want space in the corner? So you can manipulate where people are on the floor again, to try to get your best guy, the baller, a matchup that you find favorable. And then 
end of clock. So end of clock, what do you want to do? Are you going with free flow or are you calling something so that you get a little more organized and you can be efficient later in the clock? I think that goes to what type of team do you have and, and where are you in your development, if you will, in those types of situations. Coach, so when you want to run an action, like you said, for a certain player on a certain side of the floor with maybe some guy in the corner, is that something then you're able through your vocabulary? You know, it's like you, a four layered call that you can make where it's an action, like a vocab for the side of the floor. And how do you break that down if you do want to make a specific call? So if you have a, you know, just a family, you have one family of call, let's mm-hmm. say it's a stack, right? So it's your, your stack call, whatever yeah. that may be. For us, it was something different for, let's say, a Charlotte stack for them was uh, like a Euro screen. We call like a screen in the middle of the floor or stack for us was a pin down to like a elbow wing catch for a player. So using that play calling family, at least you know where everyone is on the floor. Okay. There's your structure. And now whether you're adding a number, you're adding player, or you're adding a third call for spacing after the play. So if you're clearing out a side, simple clear call. So stack 23 clear. Mm -hmm. So you know that corner is going to be empty. The two, three pin down, one's got the ball, four is vacating, we're five. So you can use that, you know, genre yeah. of call, your stack, and now you have your layers, obviously. So you can easily manipulate who's where and who's involved. Coach, always interesting with how many possessions there are in an NBA game. When would you most likely make a call so that the players can all hear it, understand it, and get to spots versus just letting them get into the flow, like on a, let's say a missed shot versus a made shot, more likely to call versus not call. Yeah. I think obviously after a miss, your spacing, your running habits are huge. How you attack and transition, huge. How you advance the basketball, your running lanes, where you go. And then your ability to play off of that spacing is everything. So after free throw is obviously a great opportunity. There's a lot of slow rolling. Like you, you can, you know what you got. You can communicate with your point guard. You can talk everything out. So you should be really tight executing after free throw. And then after made shots, I think that's a feel. You know, I'm not a head coach. I've been a head coach, but you got to feel that one out. Sometimes you, you know, your point guard might be calling something out. And even though it might not be the great, greatest thing, like, hey, yeah, yeah, go with it. You got it. You make, make it work. Right. So I think that's where the feel comes in. And that's, that's the same on the miss, you know, it's like the ball's not being pushed up the floor. You see something, they're not matched up properly. Boom. Can you get to a quick hit set? You know, your order of operations, you've got sets that take very little time to develop. You've got sets that take a bit of time. And then at the end of the clock, you're back to those quick developing, quick hitting plays. If I can keep following up on this, because just for example, one of the areas sometimes I've found personally difficult in play calling is the difference between when your team is going toward or away from your basket and trying to get your point guard, whoever, to be able to either see you or hear you. And for you guys, you're you know playing in huge arenas. So how you're able to communicate based off of if they're coming towards you or away from you to quickly get set to whatever you want to get into. I think what's important is that it's, you know, it's kind of a six way communication, right? You've got five players on the court and a coach. All those guys are capable of communicating the play call. So it's got to be echoed. So to your point, loud arena, the five man hears the play call coming and he's got to communicate. 
And okay, the other bench is going to communicate, hey, hey, it's stack, and they're going to do their deal. That's fine. That's scouting. We get it. Yeah. Everyone does it, but we're worried about us and us being organized. So the more we can communicate and be connected out there on the floor, you know, the better better chance we're going to have to be successful. But it is a challenge. Just getting guys to look over at times can be, can sure. be tough, especially if they got something else on their mind. <laughs> right. And you mentioned in the beginning, so the way you might make a play call and, and how you might segment it. Um, but the hand signals come into play at all with all of this? Like, are certain things able to be, you know, communicated via hand signals? I liked it. It was also fun. Aaron Kraft was the point guard at the time at Ohio State. And we started, uh, you know, all the guys were taking sign language as a language at Ohio State, you know, like a okay. quick, easy, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> maybe, maybe not easy. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I didn't take the class. A lot of guys took <laughs> sign language. So we started using sign okay. language for our play calling because all the guys knew the sign language. So, you know, that be, kind of became fun. But I think it's very important, especially when you're playing in loud arenas. I think in the NBA, you can, you know, just with the music and everything else, even if the arena is not packed, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of sound. And also you can hide your play calls. So I think it's very useful. Personally, it just stunk when we were in the final four and the court's five feet above our head. <laughs> right. And I'm the assistant coach, so I can't be on the court and he can't see the play calls. That was a little challenging, but otherwise I think it's very useful. Coach, you mentioned end of clock play calling and some of the sets you mentioned, you can kind of almost like it in a football term, dictate spacing, alignment, and who's going to have it. Are there those certain play calls that are just better as a one term phrase? Like as you get more towards like, say, end of clock play calling where you don't want to have to dictate too much. You just have a set call that everybody knows this is the alignment. Does it change at all as you you know go through the different situations? Yeah, it's, that's a, a really good question. I think a lot of it depends on your talent on the floor. You know, who's on the court during those times, obviously. And you probably have, what, three main groups of players, if you will, with your substitution pattern. Obviously, your starters, your subgroup, and then the kind of a mishmash of maybe who's playing well that night or whatever. So you'll probably have play call for A, play call for B, play call for C. And then I'm, I'm with you on the simplicity of it. You know, obviously people go to middle pick and roll or people are going, get out of the way. You know, like, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of different variations of it. Yeah. But your movement and spacing at the end of the clock is just as important to your point, like a slash, a cut, a clear to move the defense, to create a void and not just depend on that action to create that for you. And Coach, with, I mean, you you said the cut, the clear, kind of changing the spacings with the cut. Is it a call you're going to make because of something you're seeing with how they're defending it or maybe just the tendency of the player that's in the action and you want to make sure, you know, the elbow is clear for him to get downhill? I think one the determining factor within kind of what you're asking is also what do they do defensively? Whatever scheme whatever schematically the team that you're playing does. Like, for example, if, if you're on the side of the floor and you're playing against a team that keeps the ball on the side of the floor, they keep it pushed on the side of the floor, and you're not a good push team, you're not running side pick and roll. Yeah. You know, even though that might be right. a good play for that group, against that team, if that's their strength and that's your weakness, you're not going to call that play. Now, if you crush sure. a push and you've got a great pocket-catching big, I'm going straight to the side pick and roll, rolling that big, 
And now you got to play off that catch. And now I've got, you know, one of my better players in the middle of the floor and you've got to react to this catch. So I think uh, I kind of got away from your question, but that layer of it helps you within uh, what you've asked. Yeah. No, and Coach, you actually kind of brought up another question. Maybe it's a little tangent, but when you look up the matchups and if you're in a playoff setting and you realize it's a bad matchup, and like you said, maybe with if they're a really good ice team, do you look then to strictly like then we have to avoid it for the length of this series or we need to figure out how to solve it because we can't just become then a middle pick and roll team for the whole series? That's a good question. I just think there's ways to manipulate it. You know, you use more small, small, if you will. But I, I don't think if it's something that works for you personally, I think it's hard to just abandon, you know, like yeah. just to say, all right, we're gonna, we can't do this against this team. But yet, all right. We're on the side of the floor. They keep us on the side. Can we call it a get? Can I use more gets? Can I can I throw and go to the big? You know, and that negates that push. So you can have counters to it, but I don't think you can abandon it. I think you gotta try to see how it works. Maybe try to yeah. change it a bit with other concepts to your liking. And that's a big analytics piece, right? It's like right. I mean, I'm, I think some analytically minded people be like, why are they running side <laughs> pick and roll? It's like, well. We can't just not do it. Yeah. You know, if it's, yeah. within, if it's right. what you do in the flow of the game, it's hard to just all together. The guys yeah. will get confused. You know, like, what, yeah. what are you doing? And it's inevitable. Right. That Absolutely. They're going to wind up in it. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. Well, that's like your breakdown, right? It's like, okay, we're playing this team. It's prep. We know they're going to be keeping the ball on the side. We don't want that. We're going to use more small, small pick and roll. Maybe it's to step up. We want to run into it. We want to throw to that guy that's stepping up. We want him to be able to keep it, be dynamic, or when the side pick and rolls come with the big, I'm going to throw him the ball, whether he be setting a step up or him coming from the middle of the floor. And now I'm going to run yeah. off of that and now see if they can defend that action. Coach, just on that example you just gave, are there terms in your vocabulary to in-game switch, whether it's the, the big would run to a step up to use an on-ball screen versus the big would then become a catch guy and your players know, hey, we're going to play to this, whatever the vocab is, you can change it mid game. If you see that adjustment needs to be made. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, if, you know, the term that most teams use is a Verizal compliments, Andy. So of Anderson, excuse me. So yeah. you're running, you're telling the Verizal the screen so that, you know, they turn their hips at the last second from the direction they're coming in to set the screen in the opposite direction to kind of catch the defense wow. off guard. So just a screening angle, a screening activity, but there are definitely terms, very direct terms to guide that player to change that dynamic. Coach, staying on that, how much, what we're talking about is Sue's, the coach, our influence, our ability to call these actions, have vocabulary. How much are you guys working or encouraging the players in the pick and roll? So like you said, if yelling Verajau or if you want to play to the get, whether it's the point guard or the big, you know, how much are you encouraging the two men in the pick and roll to use the vocabulary? A lot. A lot. And that, that's what another thing coming back to film, you know, it's nice to watch film with groups of guys that play together mm -hmm. a lot. Like if it was a pick and roll combination, a two man combination. They need to be watching film together so they can talk about it. Like, I want to play get here. Well, the point guard said, just show me your hand, show me your hand and I'll, I'll either use you as a screener or I'll throw you the, like things like that. So I think you can really nurture that. Yeah. And that player-to-player -player communication is huge. And maybe it's just a simple question, but I'm just always curious for coaches. And how are you, maybe things that you're doing, is it 
player development, small groups? How are you encouraging this in practice and kind of building this chemistry or these two-man actions? Yeah, I think it's all inclusive, right? It's your five-on-o script. It's your playing within five-on-five. It's your playing within two-on-two, three-on-three. Again, the breakdown, the whole part, whole. Uh, the Hank Egan philosophy on on things, right? You give the whole, you break it down into parts, you put the whole back together and you see how people react. So you're using your player development, you're using your video and also your court time to represent all of that, right? So that as many times as you can touch it, as many times, especially if it's important to your team, the breakdown piece, the whole part within competition, when it's script, use all of it. And Within these breakdowns, will you be telling the guys like, can't be the same solution twice or find different solutions every time? It's just to, like, you know, I think a lot of us run into the habit where they just go through the motions or they just continually do one thing and it's like, okay, well, that's great. We got that. But what about the other five ways? Yeah, it's funny. So we were, uh, this, happened to, this happened a number of times to your point. You know, my earlier responsibilities with the Hawks, actually for mo- most of the years, I was the Hawks was offensively. So I, I was doing a lot of the script you know, putting together kind of a game plan for practice for what we're going to work on. And before the drill would even start, like, all right, guys, don't do exactly what the group in front of you does. All right. Can we just get a different shot, like a different pass? Because to your point, if you script a play and there's three groups, eight times out of 10, they get the same exact shot. And it's like, come on guys. So yeah, definitely do that. And, And what helps with that is using the video room, using defenders, coaching defenders, to switch the defenses on them and to also give them, a, you know, just giving them a different look, not allowing them to play exactly the same way as they did the rep before. Coach, I, I have two questions that are a little bit different. I want to ask you before we move on. I'm not sure which one I might try to squeeze both in real fast here, but the first one is back to vocabulary and a little bit of deception with it. And you mentioned that at a certain point, everybody kind of knows maybe play calls or hand signals and as the year progresses, how does the staff think about you know running similar actions, but maybe changing terms or tweaking terms so that your team knows it and there's a little bit of deception? You know, I always think of college football. You see, or you know, football they can hold up big poster boards with pictures on them right. or different names to kind of deceive. <laughs> a little harder to do in the flow of a basketball game, but are there ways that that's in what you do a little bit as well. Well, Toronto did it last year. That's right. They, they did. They, they did. Right. I was cracking up. I was like, "That's nice." <laughs> they got the signs out there. That's sweet. Um, I think, uh, yeah, definitely. You want to create some deception, right? And that's why some play calling the simplicity of it. It's a name. You know, it's a name, but it's a different name. But if it's a name, it means something. You know, if it's an odd number, it means this. If it's even, so. You know, they're like 35, 35. They're like, we don't have a 35. We have a 23. We don't have it, you know, but it's not number. So you know what your play call is. So I think you can kind of create some deception because it is helpful. Like you don't want people to be necessarily locked in on exactly what you're doing out there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. When when I was at the JV level as a coach, we had a one backdoor play, but I told the guys, no matter what number I call, it's the same, same play. play. And it kept it kept working, and the other coach kept thinking, wow, they have a lot of backdoor plays. That's great, <laughs> um, coach. Uh, we've been talking mostly offense here, but are there vocab or terms more from like a culture standpoint? that are important for you know building the foundation just things in the locker room or things that are constantly repeated so that the players understand what are the most important things 
from a culture standpoint? Yeah, when players at the defensive end start doing two things, A, communicating within the language of the team all the time, you know you're on onto something good. And then B, within that, they hold each other accountable. It's like, hey, that's your job. Like, you, you're the lone man on that rotation. You have to go. You have to be there. That's your job without the coach saying it. I think it's huge. And the guys being accepting of that. So that the players, you know, being accepting of that, that criticism or that correction. And again, that comes back to that communication, how they're communicating with one another. But I think if you have those two things within your system, within your team, you're really on to something good. Just staying on that accountability piece. And you mentioned the low tag on the defensive end. Should you be naming more, less, or about the same as you would on the offensive end? It's a good question. Just in general, to me as an individual, your offense is organic, right? Yeah. You got this organic, growing, moving process. And defense is concrete. It's so much more non-negotiable. It's so much more concrete that I think less is more. And then sometimes, you know, kind of going with the bud deal, and Darvin's very similar, is you just got to get it done. <laughs> like, I don't really care. Right. I, don't, I really can't tell you how. But you're out there on the floor and you got to find a way. So that the effort and energy piece is what needs to be created and valued. But the terminology, I think, is shorter. Yeah, I think it's less terms, more meaning, if you will. Coaches, the next big game or Jonas Brothers concert you attend, enjoy $20 off from our partners at SeatGeek, the web's largest event ticket search engine. Enter the code SLAPPINGGLASS at checkout to receive the discount on your first order with SeatGeek today. Thanks for the support. And now back to our conversation. Coach, this has been fantastic so far. We want to move to what we call start, sub, or sit with you. Well, we will give you three basketball topics, ask you to start one, sub one, sit one, and then we'll discuss from there. So coach, if you're ready, we'll dive into this first one. Okay. This first one, we termed it tough to teach when it comes to shooting. So these are three different things that can generally go wrong in a player's shot. And this is from the waist up. We'll give you these three from the waist up things that when a player is not consistent with their shot, that can be tough to teach to get them more consistent. So start sub or sit their hand placement with their shooting hand, where the hand is on the ball. And then that follow through. That's the first option. The second is their elbow angle their shooting arm elbow angle. And the third option is just their off or guide hand getting in the way or the thumb coming through. So uh, start, sub, or sit, the toughest to teach of those three when trying to get a player's shot more consistent. I'm going to start the uh, hand. I'm going to sub. The guide hand or the uh, hand on the ball? On ball. On ball, okay. On ball. Okay. And then the the, the guide, I'm going to sit. Okay. Sit the guide hand, the elbow would be sub. Okay. Coach, my follow-up is just with your start then. Why is that the most difficult to teach to get more consistent? Because a lot of guys can't bend their hands a certain way. And also the shape of the hand. Some guys have a longer palm. Some guys' hands are tilted. Some guys can't bend their wrist all the way back. Maybe it's physical or it's surgical. So the hand placement and the size of the hand, like a lot of stitches out of your control, right? It's like teaching Shaq yeah. how to shoot a free throw. He can't do it. His wrist does not bend. So that's why, to me, it's really difficult. And it's a lot that has to do with the shape of the hand. 
you want a certain placement, but a guy's hand is this way, but you want them to be like this under the ball, but their hand goes sideways. So it's like, it's nature versus nurture right there. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do. Sure. So when a player does have one of those things that can hinder maybe that perfect wrist placement on the ball, you as a coach trying to work with them, I mean, how do you try to fight around that? You just stick with your principles. Like I don't mind a lot of the hand being on the ball as long as that bottom portion is off. So just find a way for the hand to stay on the basketball with allowing the closest to a proper release as you can find. So trying to find a way for the the hand to stay towards the middle of the basketball. And coach, what are the things where if you see this shot, it's like, okay, we just got to get it consistent. It's good. Or if you see this shot, it's like, all right, there's major mechanical issues that we got to fix. Yeah, it's tough because like guys that make shots, a lot of times you just don't want to mess with them, right? Yeah. But then there's areas of their shooting that need improvement for them to be more successful. Mm -hmm. So you got to make that decision on really good shooters. And then guys that they need help, it's not broken, if you will, but there are areas that you need to work on. I'm a form shooting guy, you know, because a lot of times it goes to the base. You know, you guys are talking, obviously, we're talking uh, shoulders, basically shoulders up, if you will, and shooting with the three categories. But just the foundation and that form of one hand shooting where the basketball stops and starts again, so they get that muscle memory I think is good for any, whether a guy's really close to, hey, it's not broke, you got to do a couple of things, or there's some overloading, some really heavy lifting that you got to do in changing someone's shot. The other thing I think is also a very intricate part when you're correcting someone's shot is the psychological aspect. And so kind of a a two-prong question. First is when you walk in the gym and you're going to, hey, I'm going to help correct your shot, I guess, what is the relationship maybe you got to take into account before you just start making wholesale changes on a guy's shot? And then how do you help the player through his shot when, I mean, I think inevitably it's like it kind of gets a little worse before it starts to get better. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. There's a shot ego. Everyone's got a shooting ego. Yeah. We all know that that have been around basketball. That's very sensitive and it's trust and it helps have street credit. Yeah. You know, if you got some good street credit and guys like, hey man, he's the man. <laughs> like yeah. Chris Paul telling John Collins to work with me was the key. Right now, John is open. He's like, all right, Chris Paul told me Jen's the guy. I'm in. So you need some of that because of it's sensitive and it is a confidence thing. And you want to build that confidence, obviously, but you need the trust. You sat the offhand or the guide hand. And I'm just wondering how much of important that is to you. Same question, kind of Pat asked when you walk in a gym and you're looking at that guide hand. The reason why I sat is because I think it's a little easier to teach. It's easy, a little easier to correct. It's very important. It's a very important part of the shooting process. But most guys have their guide hand in a pretty common area. It's not too often that someone's blocking their own shot. It's not too often that the hand is all the way back. It's typically in an area on the ball that is easily corrected. We'll move along. Our next start subset has to do with defending split cuts or also like the delay action. So three types of way to defend it, just your preference and how you would choose to defend it. Either point switching, contact switching, or chasing over, no switching, fighting through. Point switching is sitting on the bench. <laughs> out, <laughs> out, out, too much, too much gray area. Um, 
so the other two is contact switch and what's and the it third? would be like chasing over or basically not switching um yeah that's tough because it's hard to chase without an opportunity to switch if you had to it would kind of go into the contact switching area so i would i would start the contact switch okay and then i okay. would go the chase and the area switch the point switching goes uh somewhere into someone else's lead <laughs> 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 Coach, okay. yeah my follow so with your start the contact switch walk us through what do you think is the most important to successfully contact switch with a team that's really adept at these split cuts physicality okay it creates a physical presence by being connected i mean that's a big coach mac thing like you determining or dictating what that player is doing you're off to a good start they're not playing freely no. So that's why I started with that one, because you're, you're creating a, a realm of physicality. And with slowing people down, it should help you cover up any mistakes that you make. And physicality, Coach, I guess, how are you teaching it in a way that obviously you're not getting fouls? It's not like just blatant forearms. It's that being connected, that physical contact and, and foul every possession. Yeah. You know, like foul, <laughs> foul. Yeah. I mean, you don't, not too many guys foul out. If you're doing it from the jump, if, you, if you're physical from the jump, it's less likely to be called anyway. So you might as well all be out there banging people and hitting people and grabbing sure. on the people and, you know, and we'll see what pans out. But I think that you don't want to avoid it early. And then yeah. all of a sudden, okay, we got to be physical. Now you're definitely going to call for foul. So I think you don't worry too much about the fouling. I think the grabbing and holding is what you got to get away from. It's more body to body so that you don't get called for fouls. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, just getting comfortable with that contact, that comfortable of your angle of body, understanding where you want to send that player. So staying below that offensive player and not getting face cut, staying to the inside of the floor, you know, things to make it tough. And then with that split action, I mean, I know we're in a different genre here, but ball pressure, Yeah, you're changing whether you have ball pressure or you're not guarding the guy with the ball is going to really determine some of what you do in that split action. And just following up, because that was another we've asked before, if it is a really good passing big, is it always, in your opinion, like we got to get up in him, we got to jam him versus sitting back and clogging it up? No, we uh, we had success both ways. Like with the Jokic, who's obvious to me is, the, yeah. he's the he's the guy. Yeah. Right? Like just uh -huh. unbelievable. <laughs> he does everything. Like he's gonna, it's like pick your poison type of guy. But one game in Denver, is because of the lead up, he was struggling to shoot a little bit. This is two years ago. He just wasn't shooting the ball well, especially for him. And we played off him. And we're like, you know what? He's going to be the guy to score 40, 42, whatever. But we're not going to allow any back cuts. They're not going to get anything off of these pin downs. We're going to like top lock them. We're going to send them in the bucket. And it worked. And then we tried to do the same <laughs> thing when they came to Atlanta. And before the game, I saw him shooting threes. I'm like, we better change our game plan because he, he he's ready for this. <laughs> sure enough, he, he was nailing threes. So I think it just kind of depends on, is that player in a flow? Because great players beat you in so many ways. But I would tend, yeah. to your point, to go to ball pressure. If it's a scoring guy, yeah. go to that ball pressure. Be disruptive. Try to move out those catches and make it tougher for him to see those passes. Coach, you sat point switching with authority like you really <laughs> nailed that to the bench i'm just wondering why you don't like that at least at the nba level 
because then it's just going to apply to every action. Guys are just going to get lazy and now they're going to point switch everything. And it's, and no one's going to know who they got. And it's, well, I told you to switch. Well, I didn't even know you, I didn't even know there was a guy over here. So it may work for the split action, but then it's just going to bleed into everything you're doing on the court. And I think it's going to yeah. blow up on you. And it may be people can do it. You know, I, again, that's just my opinion. Sure. It's what I do in my men's league games. It's point switch everything. Oh, yeah. sure. I'm standing right there. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Those yeah. amoeba zones <laughs> no, in the men's no, leagues. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Make those young guys run around. Yeah. Like switch. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Coach, our, our last start subsit for you. This is three different ways. We were just terming this defensive stress test. So ways you're going to try to stress the defense by putting a shooter into multiple actions. So I'll walk my way through the question and then it'll make sense at the end. So you're just trying to see how the defense guards this shooter and trying to get him a shot or open up an advantage. So start, sub, or sit, running a flex to a pin down action. So you're going to put the shooter as the flex screener. The second one is Spain or stack action. So you're putting that shooter in that stack or that Spain spot. Or the third is some sort of maybe ghost flare where you're going to send them on a ghost or a slip out screen and then maybe flare them on the backside and see what the defense does. So start, sub, or sit, those three actions for a shooter. Oof. All good. Um, I think I'm going to sit the uh, flex. Okay. Let's go. Let's start the ghost. Let's start the ghost with the flare. And then we're going to sub. There was the third one with stack, like a the, stack euro. The Spain or stack. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And that's a tough one. Okay. The reason why I started the ghost rather than the stack action, even though no one can seem to defend the stack action properly, <laughs> is because the ball doesn't always find the shooter. I just feel like the ghost to the flare and maybe even just a ghost, the ball finds that guy more frequently. Sure. Because they're, they're the primary, if you will. Yeah. So all good actions, but the stack to me, the, the ball handler scores a lot. Sure. In stack, but the good actions, but I would like to do the flex to the ghost. Well, okay. So we'll do a combo platter. <laughs> okay. <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> sure. We can. We can, we can add a fourth in there. Flex to a ghost to a clear side. <laughs> it's on. Yeah. Love, love, love that. Coach, you actually kind of read my mind, but with the stack action, I think the hardest thing, it's hard for the defensive guard, but I think the thing that works in their favor is it's hard at times for the point guard in the to read the action. There's a lot going on. So, And like you said, most of the time, it probably doesn't even make its way back to the shooter. So how are you working with your guard or what are you telling your guard in terms of just how to read the stack action? Well, the primary thing is, are you trying to get the shooter? Are you just trying to score? Right. So obviously the key is, is anyone stopping the ball? So if the ball is not stopped, you got to go Yeah. to me. Like sure. if I'm coming, I'm in the middle of the floor and I'm dribbling the basketball below the free throw line and no one's stopping the basketball, I'm going to probably play downhill. And then if I want the shooter, it's got to be a retreat. Mm-hmm. So if you see two on the ball, to me, although a guy like Trey sees the lob unbelievably, but if you see two in front of the ball and you know that small is down the floor, you got to be thinking retreat yeah. to get your shooter involved. Yeah. And then the, and the caveat to it for me kind of in teaching is, is that small screening or is he slipping? So to me, that changes your stack action. I always liked, I think there's a lot of more dimensions to stack, like... There should be a variety of, I'm screening, I'm slipping, 
the big is pinning down for the small. And then the small, which I haven't seen anybody do this, but I'd like to try it. The small rolls and the big pops. Yeah, yeah. So the big guy is like the way some teams guard it. They aggressively switch with the smalls like we tried to do. So now no one's guarding the small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why not just roll him to the rim? Right. And now you pop your shooting big. So the big will be the, the pick and pop guy and your lob threat is your small. So like stuff like that. So the, the dimension of teaching is it really, a lot of it relies on is your stack guy screening or is he slipping? And with the screener, the slip, are you leaving it up to the stack screener or is it something you're seeing in the coverage, whether they're hedging or if they are doing the slip that you're saying like, hey, stop setting it, like just slip out. Yeah, it was more the switching. When that small was aggressive, to switch onto the ball mm-hmm. off the stack slipper, we were like, get out of there. Okay. Get out of there. And then if they were trying to handle with the big, if the big was switching onto the ball, we're like, set the screen. Right. Because now we're going to get the lob. The only guy to take away the lob would be the small who's guarding the screener. And now the pops open and you got the lob. The screener, no screen, did depend on how teams were guarding it. Coach, this has been awesome. You are off the start, sober sit, hot seat. So thanks for playing. That with us. That's cool. Yeah, it was a great concept. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. That yeah. was a lot of fun. Do that with the players. Thank you. <laughs> Coach, we've got one last question for you before we close the show. Thank you again for your time and your thoughts today. This was really fun for us. Yeah, me too, guys. We appreciate your time. Coach, our last question that we ask all the guests on the show is what's one of the best investments that you've made in your career as a coach? Oh my gosh. Um, my paddleboard you know, trying to find balance because you get caught up and the family takes a big hit, obviously, but finding something that you can do to just get away. You know, like we just spend so much time analyzing, overanalyzing as coaches. A lot of coaches I've worked for have been like this, but it's like the person, your life is, you got to keep that in, in order, right? So my paddleboard has been my salvation. It's like, give me a release and a, and a way to get out into nature and to get some fresh air and get exercise and sometimes just get out there by myself, you know? So obviously my family is the most important thing, but that paddleboard really helps. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter, Slapping Glass Plus, and much more. Have a great week coaching and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Oh, do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping backboard. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. That's good. Let's roll. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> <laughs>